can bring you in warm. Okay. Or yeah. Bring in both. How about a nice yeah. baby bear right in the middle? This is so great. Yes! Oh, <laughs> Already he's like, alright, you know what? I'm, gonna <laughs> no, use this I'm done screwing around. <laughs> I like how he's not. Oh, he had to drag it. Like, it's heavy. Yeah. I love the combat here. This is sick. Oh, he burned himself. He's not worthy. You should have known, Mando. <laughs> okay. What if he just made him, like, a really cool sword? <laughs> Or, or, oh, it looks or like chainmail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just a helmet for him. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> just made him a bug's bunny chain. It looks oh, like man. him. It looks oh. like. How did she tie it so perfectly? Looks like his ears. I, it's got to be the same one for before, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're out. It, they, there's only like three X-wing pilots in this entire universe. <laughs> it's like getting pulled over by the same cop twice. Yeah. That one's new though. That's um, that's the guy who did the Luke Skywalker stand-in from Mandalorian. Okay. Yeah, that's him. Your engine model doesn't match your power. That's so cool that they got him to do a cameo here. I was taking her up for. Then they didn't swap over his face this time. No. <laughs> what if they still decided Luke Skywalker's be, face that, over the X-wing? That would be pilot? incredible if it or or it was Sebastian Stan. Like, you know what? We will. We are gonna cast him. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, but but it's still you. You still have to stand in for Sebastian Stan's face that so we're gonna put. You over still here. have to. Yeah, we're also mapping his face. We're not, <laughs> there'll never be a a, a, a wholly practical Luke Skywalker. Never. Welcome back to New Rockstars, the Book of Boba Fett episode five. The Return of the Mandalorian asks Boba who, and just delivered more Mandalorian payoff that fans have been craving. But you know, we didn't think that we would see until another Mandalorian season. Is this the Book of Boba Fett, or did Jocasta New put the cover jacket on a book about the dark saber? What, what the, the Fett? Also, what's the deal with the book uh, component of this? We haven't seen any books <laughs> on this show. I understand it's a it's a. Bible chapter idea, but just show us a book at some point, please. Give us a couple Give us a books. Book. Give us a novella, at least. <laughs> well, this is Wookiee Leaks, New Rockstar's Mandalorian after uh, book, a Boba Fett after show, and it's our weekly reaction to the latest in Star Wars. I'm Eric Voss. My Easter egg breakdown for this episode is going to come out tomorrow, but right now I'm here with Tommy Bechtold. Whoa, Lee, what an episode. Oh my goodness. That was, that made me feel like a kid again. That was a very Star Warsy uh, revelations around every corner episode. It was amazing. Yeah, uh, Star Wars is back in the stars now, folks. We're off world. We're mm -hmm. we're in amazing <laughs> production design. It's like the budget for this episode compared to like I feel like the first four episodes had like a each a quarter of the budget of this episode. It was insane. Yeah, and, like there was a bit of a whiplash that I felt, but like a good kind of whiplash. I'm not complaining. Tommy and I were talking about how the uh, Clone Wars would do this a lot. That you'd be watching just four episodes mm. of one arc and then suddenly. Maul and his brother and Talzin would be there doing some creepy witchcraft and you're just like, is this the same show? Yes, it's all the same show because the Star Wars universe is filled with different characters and I actually kind of love this idea that any one of these shows could just jump over to another character from one of the other shows. It, it's kind of exciting that way. I don't care what the show's called. Just give me Star Wars every week. And they wasted no time. They were like, all right, we uh, we teased Mando in the last episode and he is me. Yeah, this show is now The Mandalorian Season 3. <laughs> so we're not going to hold back. Yes, no half measures, right? I'm I'm 
fully stoked after this episode. Now, uh, I am still in a different studio setup uh, for everyone watching. I just moved into a new apartment, into a new city, actually. Um, so I haven't yet got my camera set up. So if I'm often looking below your eye line, it doesn't mean I love you any less. It means I love you more. And I want to just make sure I get what I get my notes right. Okay, so let's uh, remind ourselves what happened in this amazing episode. Episode five shifted from the sands of Tatooine and uh, all those repeat flashbacks to just some good raw Mando action. And this time, butchering the butchers. What a fascinating <laughs> setting to open in a butcher shop. They showed us with Mando the aggression people were hoping to get from Boba Fett. Uh -huh. like that was like the brutality that I think people were hoping to have. Uh, like, you know, the bounty hunter that is ruthless. And instead, we've got kind of gotten this benevolent, like, I will rule with bureaucracy and peace, Boba Fett. And we got Mando is just wiling out with the dark and, saber. And one of the great ways that they've always choreographed uh, Din Djarin on this series is the fact that he's still a bit sloppy, you know? He, he hasn't mastered mm -hmm. the dark saber. He's dragging it around. He cuts himself with it. I think that's one of the best things about his character is he's... He's a badass. He's a warrior. He can take out like a room full of people, but he's gonna walk away limping. You know, like he's gonna hurt himself. Uh, so I, I, I yeah. you can still make someone fierce and ferocious as long as you give them scars as a result of those fights. So yeah, this fight ends when Mando uses the dark saber to collect this bounty on this Clatoonian Kaba Baiz, slicing him in half, ruining that butcher apron for anyone else who want to use it. You know there are some butchers in the back who are like, yeah, 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 New Republic credit's great. I don't know when the New Republic's gonna be toppled, but I'd love to have a, a better apron. I guess I can't now. Yeah. Thanks, stranger. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just love this idea that he scalds his own leg and you know, it's just that classic thing as cool of a weapon as you get, you'll burn your leg off. And that is exactly what happened. <laughs> you burn their leg off, kid. <laughs> so Mando returns this bounty, just the dripping head to one of the coolest settings I think we've ever seen in Star Wars. It's this massive mm. ribbon city that orbits a star, got an incomplete end so that the sun's shadow causes a shift from day to night, but it seems to happen real fast kind of like a, a Pokemon yellow or is it gold and silver when it started to shift to day and night just kind of suddenly or no it would match your own time this is way faster you just have like you're gonna be chasing the night as you uh, run across this awesome 3d scape I thought it was so cool I love this idea um but as cool as that setting is you know the survivor Mandalorians have to find the grimiest darkest place in order to hide from the rest, <laughs> sad the substrata, most wide open into the like dark vacuums of space, just yeah. exposed at all times. Because yeah, the armor is going to say you cannot expose yourself in cities. There's going to be nukes that hit you, T2 style battle droids who will mow you down, mm. and then will weep a thousand tears for you. This is the way to stay in the dark. I'm not complaining. This area this looks cool, way. too. This kind of halo <laughs> setting of a giant space drop beneath your feet. No complaints. Mm -hmm. um, so we find out that what's left of the Mandalorians is really just the armorer and Paz Vizsla, John Favreau himself, playing the uh, the heir of House of Vizsla, I think we can assume. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I would say so after this episode, definitely. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the armorer really just dumps all the burning questions we had about Mandalorian history. Again, we have to remind you, in a show called The Book of Boba Fett. 
But I love this because we learn, we get some confirmations about the history of the Darksaber. We have some fun reaction shots of Paz Vizsla who's just like right in the middle of them as the, as the sword is between them. Like, can I just grab this? Because it's mine. Our family yeah, name's I on the hill. I can have that now. <laughs> right. um, we get this history of what happened in the Great Purge, the Night of a Thousand Tears, how the Death Watch was on the moon of Concordia, uh, the moon named Concordia, not the moon of, Con you, eh, whatever. Um, and it allowed them to survive those Imperial bombers and then <laughs> this total Terminator 2 Judgment Day scenario. Oh my God, yes. K2SO clones just For the super battle in. droids, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was nasty and I loved it. And uh, I think my favorite thing about this is that the armorer might be an unreliable narrator because she's totally... Right. Uh, this cult figure, right? Uh, she has her version of these events that uh, just preserve the way of life for her Mandalorian survivors, but that doesn't mean that she's telling the 100% truth. There may have been other circumstances. Right. There may have been other Mandalorian survivors. We know that's the case because Bo-Katan is still running around out there with Casca Reeves. Mm -hmm. So it's not like just because they had their own weird way of life on the moon is the only reason they survived. And it's not just because <laughs> of some weird curse of this Darksaber being handed down to her as a gift as opposed to her winning it by the creed that caused this. Um, but I just love that like it casts her whole story with a bit of like religious superstition. And I there is a truth to it, of course, because I, I think obviously swords being won via combat is is there's value to that. It's how you gain the respect of the next generation that you truly earned this position. Uh, but the fact that somehow it led to the... <laughs> <laughs> these tie bombers wiping out the city surface. <laughs> yeah. I, but I just love that, yeah. that we're meant to cast it in a little doubt. Yeah. And, and it was, it was uh, a very extreme kind of doomsday telling of what right. happened to everyone. And also kind of an indictment of Bo-Katan. Mm -hmm. We got that fine. Like we finally understand in this saga and in this show, like what she did to end up where she is, right. like what happened, her failed kind of attempt to unite Mandalore. So. Right. And I think, again, another question answered from the Mandalorian season two, where she had that look of the Darksaber needing to be won by combat. And we were wondering, well, you didn't, who did you fight to receive it? This episode answered that as well. <laughs> um, now, Din ends up surrendering his Beskar spear because they believe that all Beskar should be uh, forged into armor, defensive things as opposed to weaponry which another great little detail that i liked so they decide to reforge it i was wondering are we going to get a little grogu helmet um i think this chainmail, whatever this is is a uh, is a wonderful choice now the armorer spars with din Djarin, but mando struggles with the dark saber's increasing weight which lends some credulity to the mysticism of this sword you know darks uh, all lightsabers are supposed to be you know, a bit more lightweight than your average sword, but this kind of brings it back to what George Lucas originally conceived for these swords. They're supposed to be slow battles. There's supposed to be some weight to the hilts. Uh, and now we finally get to see that, which is just, it was really fun um, to see yeah. it weigh more and more on him as he was further and further proving himself unworthy of it. And this leads to Paz Vizsla just being like, yeah, this, this guy can't handle it. So he... I'm taking this yeah. back. This is jetpacks <laughs> off. Uh, it was such fun. <laughs> I love that they were like, "Well, this—the only way to do this fight fair is if we both get rid of our jetpacks." Right? Yeah. Uh, and so Mando yeah. ends up winning, but he reveals he at one point in the past he cannot tell a lie. He took off his helmet, mm. and these two immediately say, "Well, it doesn't matter if you're the best hope for survival for us." off you're out get out we hate yeah you. we hate you <laughs> you're dead to us i mean there's these so serious weird. like 
they're, they're yeah. superstition. It's, oh, they're walking around with their helmets off, and that's why it got bombed. I'm telling you. Well, I feel like she, she the armorer knew that he had done mm-hmm. that, and that's why she asked. That felt like right. she was probably hoping that um, Paz Vizsla would just win. But since he didn't, she was like, all right, I'll play my Trump card, yeah. <laughs> which is, I know you took your helmet off, so yeah. you're out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Mando then flies commercial to Tatooine. He has to check in all of his weapons. Really, I was wondering, is something going to happen to his dark saber? Is someone going to steal it or sabotage it? Really, it just seemed like a gag just to show all the insane amounts of weapons he has to unload and constantly <laughs> yeah. has on. It was the like, it, it was like the cowboy thing of like turn in all your guns and then like you turn in four and then they're like the rest of them and you pull like two more out of your socks. <laughs> like he had so. He had so many weapons. (laughs) Um, Well, after having a a cute moment with a a Rodian kid on the flight, he gets to Tatooine, reunites with Pelimoto, uh, and hopes to get a new Razor Crest. But instead, she is building for him an N1 Starfighter, last seen defending Naboo in Phantom Menace. And they acquire more spare parts from Jawas. We learned that Pelimoto used to date a Jawa. (laughs) Amy Sedaris (laughs) just pulling out the great improv lines here. Sure. <laughs> oh my God, it was hilarious this episode. She said that Jawas are, yeah. or this particular Jaw was very furry. A lot of issues. What was that Jawas <laughs> issue? I will, I have to wonder. <laughs> that was that was insane. Because yeah, like you said, that had to have been improvised, and they were like, leave no, it in. Yeah, it's definitely this, leave we, it in. This character is crazy <laughs> enough that 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 could have happened. <laughs> I just want like a flashback to with Amy Sedaris on a date with this. Awful day yeah. with this Jawa, where he's just a, talking the whole time. Just, oh my god! <sighs> and, and the Jawa is just like taking everything off the table and putting it in, like to trade. Later. He steals all the sugar packets. You never know if you can <laughs> yeah. just do one of those swaps. Tapatio. Swap your way up to yeah, a telescope exactly. with one of those. Uh, exactly. But uh, I love how the other Jawa later asks her out. She's still just, you know, she's doing her own thing. Yeah. She's. Just focusing on her now. She's been robbed the wrong way, and she's she, yeah, she's going so. Ja- the Jawas are all about Amy Sedaris. They're like she has her own <laughs> shot. <laughs> she's hilarious. She's funny. She's a charmer. She's a keeper. Someone's got to get like. What's, there's some Jawa parents who's like, to love? well, then the next brother <laughs> has to go hit on this mechanic because she's a catch. Go get her. <laughs> crying out loud. She's a small business owner. <laughs> Also, she's got this new <laughs> droid that we didn't see before. A BD droid. Yes. Was it BD-1 from Jedi Fallen Order? Friend to Cal Kestis? No, it, it looks like BD-5 was this one. But it's, I love that they brought in this droid class. I don't think we've ever seen it live yes. action. It'd be great to see Cal Kestis jump into one of these shows. See where this kid ended up. I had like flashbacks to playing Fallen Order and not knowing what to do. And then asking BD-1 and BD-1 not really helping me. <laughs> and then me asking uh-huh. again, hoping BD-1 would say something different. And it's still not helping. <laughs> and then me just rage going to YouTube and being like, how do you get out of this planet? Yeah. And then you see like a video with me and you're like, no, no, that's not helping. No, not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know him from work. <laughs> that's my friend, He's a from, friend work. from work. Well, Mando takes this, uh, this N1 starfighter on a test drive through Beggar's Canyon. This is amazing. Uh, again, this episode proves you can actually leave a planet's atmosphere on Star Wars. And as Mando uh, floats around in space, he goes past a commercial liner, runs into a couple X-Wing pilots. Of course, Paul Son Hung Lee returns as Captain Carson Tiva from The Mandalorian, even recognizes his voice. But he's now joined by Lieutenant Reed, who's played by Max Lloyd-Jones, who was the stand-in actor for Luke Skywalker's cameo in The Mandalorian last season. So the episode ends with Fennec Shan recruiting Mando as muscle-tail Boba Fett, but Mando 
offers to do it for free, but first wants to reconnect with Grogu. But the real question is, does Grogu want to connect with him? How has that child oh. changed? Why does he want to reconnect? Uh -huh. And will it be as smooth? And there might be a dog shadow behind me right now, and that's because Darla had some questions <laughs> about Grogu. Darla's also like, I want to reconnect. <laughs> oh, I always want to reconnect with that sweetie. I'm in. <laughs> Well, before we get into this, our merch partners at Epic Hero Shop have a new shirt for their latest Obsession series inspired by the book of Boba Fett. They're limited edition, so grab one before they are gone. And when you buy a latest Obsession shirt, you'll get the added option to write in a custom shout-out that will appear along the bottom of these book of Boba Fett after shows. Uh, one of the shout-outs was from Matthew this week. He said, if you need permission to kill a hut, is Leia constantly being hunted by the family or forgiven? A great question from earlier episodes, Matthew. Yeah, I want. we're still waiting to find out who you need permission from to kill a hut. Who grants that permission? Is it just uh, three-fifths of the other huts who have to have like a 60% uh, majority in order to make that decision? I think, I think that party barge was such a debacle. They're just like sweeping under the rug. <laughs> Let's just not mention it. Like we'll just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Carol says, what's up, Eric and Tommy? Do you think there's a chance that if Boba gets Din, Mayfeld comes too? Um, yeah, I'm ready to like, <laughs> if we could just have some of these episodes just be Mandalorian episodes. Yeah. Get Bill Burr back yeah. in here. Why not? Let's just have a half a season of Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just toss The it. final two episodes are just going to be Mayfeld walking around scrapyard screaming at people. <laughs> and they're going to be great. What's going on around here? <laughs> uh, and then Brandon says, I want to see Boba slam dunk at Syracuse Orange game over Boheim. Mm, okay. Yeah, Boheim. This is a Syracuse reference. Thank I like you this. for correcting Central my... Central New York. Yeah. The Carrier Dome, Buddy Beheim, Jimmy Beheim, okay, Jim Beheim, the coach, the, Julie Beheim, the wife, the whole family. <laughs> Boba just dunking on all of them with his jetpack. A sixty-year-old man dunking on an eighty-year-old man, and while his two twenty-year-old kids and his fifty-year-old wife look on. That's what I think. What, well, Brandon? I'd love to see. I that. would too. I, now, now that I had this visual in my head, I have to see this in live action. Well, <laughs> Yes. Check all of our merch out at NewRockStarsMerch.com. So, Tommy, what is our first question coming out of this episode? Well, Eric, let me ask you, what the fuck will happen when Din Djarin tries to reunite with Grogu? What did he actually forge for? Him? Yeah, for now, all we really saw clearly was that adorable bundle. Uh, a nice, like, perfect little knot that just looks like... The uh, Grogu's head. Bindle. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what an incredible, like, you know the armor is, is like the expert rapper. She's like, no, I will just wrap all the mm -hmm. gifts because I will make the gift look like the I, person you're giving it to. I'll make them crisp. Yeah. I will use just the right amount. I will use one will piece use of tape. One piece of tape is all that is necessary. <laughs> to seal the to whole seal thing. To seal the whole thing. And when you cut the ribbon, the whole thing will nicely unfold. And then butterflies will fly out. <laughs> Um, yes. But uh, before that, it looked, we had a brief shot of like chain mail, pieces of chains falling down. So it looks like they're going to make some kind of chain mail armor for Grogu. Knee thrill style armor for the child, which I think is great because we don't know how that kid's going to grow. You want some chain mail that can be, you know, adjusted. You don't want one thing where they got to like hammer it, hammer it out as the kid gets fatter. You, you need something that can be malleable, adjustable, you know, can protect. Everyone knows. Yeah. When it comes to kids, you buy two sizes up so they can grow but in. But I think, yeah, exactly. He'll grow into it. And, but yeah. I think that is exactly yeah. uh, an interesting clue for 
what Din Djarin is expecting running into the child right now because he doesn't know how this child has changed. Yes, it only seems to be like, what, a couple of weeks in the present timeline of the Book of Buffett after the ending of the, of the Mandalorian Season 2. But who, he doesn't know this kid's biology. He doesn't know what Jedi training will do to it or what this kid's future is. If he's going to want to stay with Din Djarin, come back to him, or go off on his own. But he wants this kid to always be protected no matter how he changes over the course of his life. So um, I was just kind of curious what triggered Din Djarin's sudden desire to check in on Grogu. Uh, like... Does he just miss him? It's only been a couple of weeks. I understand missing this kid, but you have to trust him to go off to college and make his own choices. Right. But I'm wondering if there could be some kind of new distrust, like some kind of uh, empty nester syndrome where he has some doubts about the cult that he just handed this kid off to. Um, and I think it's all coming from the dark saber. Uh, there was this interesting line where the armor says, in order to master the ways of the force, Jedi must forego all attachment. And Mando responds, well, that is the opposite of our creed. Loyalty and solidarity are the way. Now, this is essentially the armorer repeating something that Ahsoka Tano warned Mando about back in uh, chapter 14 or whatever that episode was, season two, episode five on Caladan. Um, that is, uh, uh, I think, a suspicion that Mando's always had about the Jedi. And really, it was the fact that Luke Skywalker saved them on that ship uh, at the end of last season that he's kind of like, well, uh, I think this guy can trust. I think this guy, let's give him a chance. But now, after carrying this Darksaber, hurting himself with it, seeing it feels like too powerful of a weapon, I think... He's kind of had, he has that natural instinct that if you think about it, Mandalorians have always hated Jedi or distrusted them because historically they've been at war with them for, for like decades, for generations. Yeah. And they don't trust these freaking wizards, even though uh, Tar Vizla was both a Mandalorian and Jedi. He was the, you know, the exception to the rule. Most of the time, Mandalorians mm -hmm. do not like Jedi and don't trust them. And I yeah. think that uh, instinct is kicking in. I think he's worried what this mm -hmm. education will do to Grogu. And maybe he should be worried. Right. Uh, I think the implication is that we should be worried about Grogu right now. Um, right. And I liked how the armorer lectured us about the way the Darksaber really is a weapon that cuts both ways. Forged by Tar Vizsla, ancestor to Paz Vizsla, founder of the House Vizsla, um, both a Mandalorian and a Jedi. But the armorer claims it, it carries a curse that since Bo-Katan was gifted this saber, that she did not win it by creed through combat, uh, the armorer believes that is why the planet of Mandalore was bombed in that Night of a Thousand Tears, the Great Purge. Now, we don't know if that is exactly the causal reason to it getting bombed. Right. It sounds like superstition right. yeah. connecting two things that may be correlated. It seems but... like a, a scapegoat yeah. for what could have been a larger bureaucratic uh, disagreement that resulted in violence. Like, but, yeah. uh, when that saber was handed to Bo-Katan in Rebels, there was like uh, a cry out in the force. And then Moff Gideon was like, <laughs> a thousand I voices must all now bomb Mandalore. There's an imbalance <laughs> that must be fixed. But I love that that's what, bomb the, that's yes. what she believes. And I think it's so great yeah. to be presented this, uh, this superstition as truth. And that's what Star Wars, I believe, is all about. Like, we were educated in the ways of the Jedi Code, but really it is a superstition. It's religious fanaticism, according to Han Solo. And we're seeing another side to that now that I think is just so pure and so interesting. And I would love to see if, when we eventually get to Mandalore, 
if the truth that was presented to us may not be totally true, that sure, the the planet surface was bombed, but there could be, of course, some other reason why that happened. Um, and there, at, at the end of the day, even though it is religious fanaticism, there is some truth to it because Bo-Katan did seem to grimace when uh, Din Djarin offered her the saber at the end of last season. Like, she seemed to at least know that, according to the surviving Mandalorians out there, she doesn't want to risk it. She she's now yeah, has to it, it can't it herself. can't go that way again. She can't she can't just get it again. Yeah, it can't just be gifted to her again. It has. She's got to win it. She's got to prove them. Well, I guess in this case, proving them wrong would be just to take it and show that it wasn't connected. But I think right. she has yes. now made yeah. this her truth that she understands that she's bought it. Yeah, yeah. she's going to win them over. She has to show. Okay, well, this time I'm going to win it back and right that wrong. But this blade does have real mystic qualities to it. It does weigh heavily on someone who it seems like may not be totally worthy of wielding it yet. That hasn't properly earned it. Maybe by defeating, uh, uh, like if you think about it, Mando really um, defeated a usurper of this blade who is not a Mandalorian uh, and didn't even swear by any kind of Mandalorian way of life. Uh, but uh, everyone else has to kind of win it from a Mandalorian. Uh, and eventually that blade kind of w- puts a curse on you <laughs> to where it's going to be hard to wield it. Um, and that's a real thing that we saw, a real physical effect that we saw. Yeah, he cuts himself right, immediately. Right, right. Um, so yeah. I think after he cut himself, Tommy, uh, that is when Mando might have started to view this as a burden and a curse uh, that his lifelong Jedi superstition has started to kick in. And I think he now feels like it might have been a mistake to entrust his best buddy to the freaky sorcerers who use these kind of weapons. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, when you you establish the bond that Grogu and, and, and uh, Mando had, it's uh, this is the way to explain why he would go back for him, right? Like, otherwise, it didn't make any sense. Only if Mando had second thoughts about it. Like, that's... This is the logical way to get them back in the same scene right. together. So I, I thought it was Well, brilliant. and I also think it's it, it makes us wonder, should we be worried for Grogu's well-being? Because we should also remember that this era of Luke Skywalker, despite being a badass Jedi warrior, he's really at the height of his pride. He's now at the stages in his career where he's obsessing over the Jedi code. He's uh, traveling all over the galaxy trying to assemble the ancient Jedi texts. He's trying to rebuild the Jedi Order. Page turners, they are not. (laughs) He's trying to rebuild a Jedi Order with his nephew. He has not yet been burned by his arrogance and come out to his more grounded understanding of the Force. That's going to be decades from now. So I think we have to ask ourselves, in the short time that Grogu has been with Luke Skywalker, how has Luke changed Grogu? Like... Will Groku have suddenly aged rapidly? Could he be talking now? Is he going to have some crazy, scary force abilities where he just force chokes everything? Is that going to be a behavior that Luke might have encouraged? Because we saw Luke use it on one of those droids when he rescued them. And is it really going to have to be Mando having to rescue Grogu from the darker path of the Jedi ways and instead forge a new Mandalorian clan starting with the two of them? Is that the answer that awaits him in these living waters beneath the minds of Mandalore? Oof. What do you think, Tommy? Ah, you know, I, I'm i really interested. It seems to me as if what is being set up now is that maybe Grogu's destiny is not to become a Jedi, but just a force-wielding being. You know what I mean? And, and, and like you said, member of, of maybe a new Mandalorian clan, but maybe like the whole focus and obsession with getting him to a Jedi is now seemingly the wrong path with Grogu's kind of like 
impulsive, violent instincts as a as a young child, maybe it's safer for him to just kind of have these force abilities, but not fully focus them on the Jedi path, which could you know lead to a Sith path or lead to a darker path. Either way, so I kind of think that what we're learning here is that Grogu is not meant to be a Jedi. I think that's kind of the message of this, and and that Mando has come to that conclusion or is coming to that conclusion, and he's going to try and take him. Yeah, back. That's I, what think, I think I think really the implication that we knew from the end of last season is if Luke was more successful of a mentor and a teacher to Grogu, wouldn't Grogu still be at his side at the time of the Jedi Temple when everything bad happened with Ben Solo, like? Uh, we worried that uh, did Kylo Ren kill Grogu? Is that so? I don't think that would be possible. At, at you know, at his lowest power, Grogu would at least be a TA who could have kicked Gro- Kylo Ren's ass. Um, so I think the implication is that Grogu might have been Luke Skywalker's first failure as a teacher. You know, and then Luke just kind of tried again with his nephew, and it was even worse when it happened with his nephew. So, I but the only way that that failure could not have fully taught Luke Skywalker well enough to abandon the ways of the Jedi Code would be if he didn't get enough time. If he felt like, if I were only given more time yeah. to train this student and right. forge a relationship. Yeah, it was less of a failure and more of a... Incomplete. Right, and I think Mando senses this. I think he sees a kind of evil in this Darksaber, a, a curse that... does not serve the Mandalorian way. And I, but also he has found that like his, his Mandalorian cult isn't really a true home for him anymore. So I'm hoping that he can really forge the true way between the Mandalorian and the Jedi ways that kind of takes the best of both worlds and, uh, and forges an alliance that's based on true companionship, but not one that like forces you to hide your face and have no empathy for anyone else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe once in a while, get a little sun. Um, so I'm dying to know what these uh, living waters will be if we will see them this season. I don't know how much time there is, if, but it's I yeah. yeah. But, uh, I imagined like the weird Age of Ultron uh, waters that <laughs> that Thor goes to. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I totally think I, I think that's a Man- Mandalorian season yeah. three plot point. I think that was setting that up of like those waters are inaccessible now. So you know. Mando loves a good quest, loves a good task. Well, so. I want to talk more about those living waters in a second. But first, uh, thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. We all love delicious sweet treats, but if you are trying to eat clean and mean, like Boba of Tatooine, Magic Spoon can help. Magic Spoon cereal has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Grab yourself a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa fruity, frosted and peanut butter and then try mixing flavors chocolate and peanut butter are so good together frosted and fruity go really great together so go to magicspoon.com slash wookieleaks to grab a variety pack and try it today and be sure to use our promo code of wookieleaks at checkout to save five dollars off your order and magic spoon is so confident in their product it's backed with a 100 happiness guarantee so if you don't like it for any reason they'll refund your money no questions asked remember get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash wookieleaks and use the code wookieleaks to save five dollars off and again we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode.
episode. We also want to thank Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. Black Corsantin can really pull off that shaggy look, but lots of us don't want to. Join the four million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to keep their downstairs looking trim with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code Wookie for 20% off and free shipping. You don't want to be like Daddy Gemstone in a recent episode of The Righteous Gemstones. I watched that. Oh, I'm like, God. you know what? He could have used Manscaped. That would have helped him out. Mm-hmm. That would have avoided that all. That was my thought. I said the Manscaped lawnmower. That would have saved so, saved so much trouble. Well, this year, we all want you to take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium Body Wash. The Performance Package 4.0 has the signature lawnmower 4.0 with advanced skin safe technology to reduce cuts and nicks. And the new product that needs no introduction, the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped. It's cologne infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling nice, clean, and moisturized. Whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer get 20% off and free shipping with the code wookie at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code wookie it's new year no pubes in 2022 with manscaped <laughs> yes i wanted to ask you tommy we were just talking about the living waters of mandalore uh, what do you think the living waters of mandalore are and will they work for someone who is not of a true mandalorian bloodline do these living waters know and respect people who might have been foundlings who were brought in to the Mandalorian way of life? I I kind of wonder if the like entire concept of the living waters is that they're a sentient thing, you know, like they can they can sense kind of a purity of a spirit, they can kind of, you know, sense malevolence or benevolence. So I'm wondering if once Mando gets there. One of two things will happen. Either the the waters will reveal some kind of knowledge to him or the waters will reject him and he'll know what he kind of had in his heart all along is that he doesn't belong there. Mm. They'll say, like, you have tried and we appreciate what you've tried to do to adopt our our thinking and our way of life. But ultimately, your destiny lies beyond Mandalore. Let let the past die. (laughs) Well, and there seems to be a thing with Mandalorians of this strict kind of... uh, what's the right word for orthodox like belief system. So it it would stand to reason that the waters of Mandalore aren't going to be as satisfying for Mando. You know what I mean? Like there's a chance that they're just kind of like affirming that this Mandalorian way is the strict kind of specific rules and specific uh, path you have to take. And Mando didn't take that path. So maybe that'll be the closure he needs to go on his own path. I have to say, I love how much mysticism we're learning about other cultures beyond Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tuscans had their own mysticism that was real mysticism. There was a they had lizards lizard going up crawled noses. up noses, yeah. brought them to a freaking tree, <laughs> vegetation on Tatooine, two trees yes. that we don't know where it is, no one knows where it is, that had him experiencing real visions. This is true mysticism in the same way that I think these living waters are going to be the same thing for Din Djarin. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, and in, in my you know galaxy brain way of looking at this, they are all connected to the Force. It's not the Jedi dogma. It's a different kind of Jedi, but it is a life force that flows through all things. And then this is just the Mandalorian interpretation of it. That was just the Tuscan interpretation. In Last Jedi, Luke showed us the Jedi interpretation of it. The, but it's all the same kind of life force. This is just speaking to different people in different ways. So I'm so excited to see these living waters. I love that it's living waters that we started with a tree in the Dune Sea that for 
for uh, Boba Fett took the form of the imagery of crashing waves. I would love if the imagery that Din Djarin sees is just sand trickling down to just give us some parallelism there. You know, the living water's giving you the driest possible thing. I can't wait to see what this is. Um, but um, moving on to another question, Tommy. Uh, what the fuck is Din Djarin's next steps with the Darksaber in Mandalore? Is he worthy after defeating Paz Vizsla? Will Bo-Katan ever get a second chance? Well, I think they're setting it up that he, in the eyes of the Mandalorians, he's not worthy, right? Like they purposely, he, he fought Paz Vizsla and they then immediately banished him. You know, the armor immediately banished him. And he's now kind of in company with Boba Fett as two kind of former Mandalorians or people that believed in the Mandalorian way that are now kind of men with no country. But what's hard about that is that's only true for those two cultists, for Cosca Reeves, for Bo-Katan, for anyone else who's a, who considers themselves a Mandalorian, Sabine, Sabine Rand, are they going to care that he took his helmet off? Or are they going to be like, okay, well, you weren't truly a Mandalorian to those two, but we like you. We'll follow you into war. Right. I think we just haven't seen enough of that yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think we haven't seen enough of him interacting with more, I guess, woke Mandalorians <laughs> that are like, yeah, it's all right if you take your helmet off. Yeah, I don't. And, and as for Bo-Katan getting a second chance, like I think it's leading up to them fighting, but I think like she's going to think she has to kill him. Well, he's going to try and get her to just take the Darksaber and figure out a way to pass it on to her. Like I don't think it's a burden he wants to carry necessarily. Yeah. I, I, I think the more he becomes enlightened... Yeah. I think he is getting grossed out with anything associated with Jedi culture. I agree with you, Tommy. Um, now, I want to also ask you, what the fet will the Pikes do to those Jawas and Pelimoto, potentially Din Djarin, for stealing their parts? The fact they ripped it off, Pike Spice Runners, made me a bit worried. What do you think, Tommy? Well, I think uh, the, the greater uh, cost will probably be paid by Pelimoto and the Jawas, whereas Mando is going to you know, link up with Boba Fett. I think there's a chance we we may see Pelimoto get either kidnapped or killed, or oh, you know, no, please don't uh, kill off any Sidious. I, I don't mean to say that, but I think you're you know, right. That though. is kind of a Star Wars way, though. I mean, like they are kind of setting it up. I mean, when you when you help the uh, side of righteousness, often if you're not a main character, you're you're, you're you end up uh, uh, casualties. So I wonder if, if we'll lose her. And the Jawas, I think, are always just kind of Switzerland, where they're just selling to everybody. So. I wonder if they just make, make it right with the uh, Pikes by giving them some things they want. So I think they'll probably smooth it over. Yeah, I, I think... Via some shady trick. I think Pelimoto's ex-boyfriend is in a lot of trouble right now. I think she's going to be like, yeah. look, I, <laughs> yeah, he, he was going yeah. through a lot of issues, but I, 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 he shouldn't have died that way. They shouldn't have killed him. <laughs> He's in big trouble. He's in big trouble. <laughs> um, well, last question, Tommy. Interesting line about Moff Gideon, how he was brought to trial at the New Republic Magistrate or Tribunal, right? So what the fet is next for Moff Gideon? And do you think potentially his going back to through the New Republic legal system might bring back some of the leaders of the New Republic at this point? Mon Mothma uh, or Leia Organa? Uh, I don't want to see her, obviously, on the show, uh, but like an implication that she might have passed down some order or is this could be how we get Han Solo on the show? Well, who's going to litigate it, right? Like, who's in charge now, and who are like who are in the upper echelon that would be dealing? Because Moff Gideon is like a you know a like a extremely high level threat to the Republic, so he's going to be handled by the most powerful people. So I wonder, in my mind, 
I think he probably is going to get rescued by some other evil force, you know, like he's going to get broken out because I don't know that the trial, the trial would have to be like Mon Mothma or, um, Holdo. Definitely a chance to bring her back, but I, I'm not sure. Like, yeah, yeah. I just don't know because it, uh, you know, it would kind of be the trial of the century. It would be. Republic, I mean, that's so. what I'm saying. Like, I think yeah. they might get some like celebrity uh, jurists on this panel who has to decide Maybe Jar Jar whether Banks. he lives or dies. <laughs> yes. uh, former Senator Binks is uh, getting a jury summons. Like, E.T. Misa have to e. show up at, at 7.30 a.m. at a courthouse? Yeah. Hey, I can't afford it. Uh, Misa have to get a stipend? <laughs> we will see who ends up uh, trying Moff Gideon and whether he... Uh, probably gets away with it, gets broken out. I hope so. But that is it for this episode of WikiLeaks. Again, my Easter egg breakdown of the episode is going to come tomorrow, and Tommy and I will be back next Wednesday with our reaction to Chapter 6 of the Book of Boba Fett. Potentially see how many uh, facial hairs or peach fuzz Grogu now has. This this moody teenager working oh, for a creepy Jedi. Teen Grogu. <laughs> teen Grogu. Well, uh, also quick plug to the folks in the Chicago area. You can actually see me and Tommy as well as Philip Molina and Jessica Clemens in a live New Rockstar show February 11th as part of a really cool Rooster Teeth live podcast show. So check the link in the video's description for more info. I'm super excited to do this. And uh, don't forget to check out our many great merch options at newrockstarsmerch.com. Follow me at EA Voss. Follow Tommy at Tommy Bechtel. Follow New Rockstars. And subscribe to Wookiee Leaks wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for watching. We have spoken.